Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Amen. Go and get your Bibles open to Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. We are uh, coming uh, towards the end of the book of Acts. We are. Uh, we're going to look at Acts 18 this, this morning, uh, Acts 19 next week, and then uh, we're kind of going to rush through the rest of it. Uh, and we have, after this morning, we have three more weeks in the book of Acts, and uh, then we'll, we'll finish up uh, this book before we uh, start a new series. Uh, but as we continue through the book of Acts, we, we come to chapter 18. In chapter 18, we have recorded uh, Paul's first visit to the church at, or to the city of Corinth. There is no church there right now. Paul is one of the, is who God's going to use to start the church. And as we read this chapter, uh, we're really introduced to a lot of characters that play a major role in this church starting, but also a major role in the gospel going forward from the city of Corinth. Uh, God uses these people to accomplish His will. Now, the chapter, uh, this chapter, it really, again, sometimes we read the Bible and we read through a chapter and we think, oh man, that was a quick little uh, aside. The events in chapter 18 took about 18 months. Uh, so it's about a year and a half of things happening that we read in this chapter. And these events, they, they tell us uh, one important truth. This is the truth, the same truth we've been seeing all throughout the book of Acts. God accomplishes His will through everyday believers. You know, every, anybody who is a child of God, who is a believer, God wants to use and God can use to accomplish His will. You know, we, we read uh, the book of Acts, or we, we read these stories, these books about uh, great missionaries like, like Hudson Taylor or all these other great you know, men of God, spurs, where they, oh man, God used them greatly because they were, they were well-trained or they were well-educated or you know, they had this great spiritual power. No, God uses anyone who's willing to be used by God. And the book of Acts shows us God takes people who have no Bible college training, people who have no really religious background, but they have a heart to serve God, and God uses them to do an incredible work for His kingdom. Uh, God's plan was for His followers to share the gospel with everyone that they could, and we see, and, and then train them and take those people that they have shared the gospel with, that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and train them to become disciples that they can go out and do the exact same thing. Preach the gospel, see people saved, train people to, be, to be, become a disciple of Christ, and then they go out. And that's how God expects the gospel to multiply. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 18, three signs that will tell us whether we, like the people in the book of Acts, are living according to God's will for our life, if we are living according to God's plan, and we're living out His will. So look at Acts chapter 18. We're going to start in verse number 1. And I'm in John 18, and so that's not going to help us one little bit. 
Uh, I was looking at Peter's denial and like, what? All right, so Acts 18, chapter number 18, verse number 1. Uh, after these things, now remember after these things, we're talking about chapter 17. Uh, we looked at last week where Paul, uh, he's in Athens and he's preaching the gospel in Athens and he's talking about the, the temple to the unknown God and you know he's witnessing there and of course a lot of people accept him, a lot of people reject him and he kind of run him out of town. So after that, uh, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Now, Corinth was about 55 miles away from Athens. Now, today, that's not a long trip. You know, you get in your car and you got 81, 55 miles, you can make it in less than an hour uh, if you're on 81 because everyone's going 80. Uh, you know, if you really push it, you can make it in half an hour. So how do you know that? I may have done it once or twice. But anyway, uh, so 55 miles to us isn't that long. But, of course, in this time, Paul's walking. So it's about a 21-hour walk that he takes uh, to get to the city of Corinth. And so they're, they're fairly close geographically, but they're, they're drastically different culturally. Athens was a, a Greek city, a Greek colony. Corinth was a Roman colony. And so different cultures, different beliefs, different things going on in these two cities. So if you've, if you've read the New Testament, you'll recognize the city of Corinth. This is where uh, Paul begins the church at Corinth, and he writes two letters that we know as the book of First and Second Corinthians. And he writes these letters while he's in prison. Uh, now, he's written, uh, he writes these letters because he cares deeply for this group of believers. Paul was the first person to bring the gospel to the city. He saw these people saved. He discipled them. He worked with them. He loved this church. He loved these group of believers. And so he, he was, was caring about them. And then verse number two. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born of Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and he came unto them. So the first people we meet when we get to Corinth with Paul is Priscilla and Aquila. They had been kicked out of Rome because, or kicked out of Italy because they were Jews. Claudius, the emperor at the time, uh, he kicked all the Jews out of Rome in 49 AD. We don't know anything about Priscilla and Aquila before this time. Uh, we know that they are suffering religious persecution from the Romans. We know they are in Corinth as, as refugees. Their life has been completely ripped apart because of their Jewish heritage. They lost their business in, in Rome. They had to leave friends and family and their home. And they are in Corinth starting over brand new because of this religious persecution. Now, God uses these people to do a great work in Corinth and the rest of the area, but it's interesting to note that how God uses them, it starts with the complete upheaval of their lives. They've lost everything, like I said. Their homes, their businesses, their family and friends. To Priscilla and Aquila, at this point, things could not be worse. Uh... But that is exactly where God wanted them. And that gives us hope. Because you right now may be in a situation where you think, it can't get any worse. Number one, it, it can. 
uh, don't say that. Like we were setting up and I was, I, I, had, a, I had a t-shirt on while I was setting up because I was sweating, even though I got it set at 68. And if you complain you're cold, I don't care. Uh, but I was sweating like a pig. And uh, somebody's like, it can't get any worse. I'm like, yeah, good. This air conditioning go out. And then what are we going to do? It always can get worse. They so, well, go to the gym. No, it doesn't work either. So we got a lot of ACs we need fixed around here. Uh, but so it's like, you know, it always could get worse. But when you're at rock bottom, that's where God comes in to use you. God takes what looks dead and uses it as a new beginning to start something better. You know, a resurrection can never occur until a death happens. You know, the death of Jesus on the cross, it devastated his followers. You know, even the women that go to the tomb on the third day to be, they're not there to watch him rise again. As he told everybody, hey, destroy this temple three days later, I'm coming back. He, gave, he pretty much spelled it out for them. They're going to kill me three days, I'm going to rise again. They obviously didn't believe him because on the third day, they weren't there to see the resurrected Savior. They were there to anoint the body of the, the man that they followed and they had given their lives to and they loved. Like, we've got we to gotta honor him. But through his death, we got the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we have no redemption with God. We have no salvation. We have no hope at all. So you may be looking at a part of your life and think, man, this is dead. That's a great place for God to start and resurrect and do something incredible for His honor and His glory. So your plans may seem dead, but that's how God can start to use His plan. God uses everyday people with everyday problems to bring the gospel to the world. Look at verse number 3. And because He was of the same craft, He abode with them and wrought, for they, by their occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul, he's got some things in common with Priscilla and Aquila. He is a Jew. He, was, he is a, a you know, Jewish born. He's also a Roman citizen. So we're assuming that Priscilla and Aquila have a Roman citizenship as well because they were living in Rome. Now they got kicked out because of their Jewish culture, their Jewish uh, race, but they were living in Rome, so they're probably Romans, or they're at least very familiar with the Roman culture. Paul is Roman. Paul is also Jewish. And the Bible says that they have the same occupation. So we learn now Paul also was a tent maker. He had some type of skill, and so he used this skill to kind of supplement his income. So he gets to Corinth. He finds Priscilla and Aquila. They've got a lot in common, so he, they invite him to stay in their home, and he helps them in their business. He's helping build tents. He's, and during the, the, the Sabbath day when they're not working, he's in the tent synagogue uh, preaching about Christ. He's witnessing the Jews. He's seeing Jews get saved. He's seeing Greeks get saved. And so Paul is working a job, living with these two people, and sharing the gospel. Now, we don't have a record of their salvation. Some people believe that they got saved in Jerusalem during Pentecost because as Jews, they would have traveled to Jerusalem during this holy time. And maybe it was there that they heard Peter preaching at Pentecost. They accepted Christ as their Savior then, then went back to Rome, and then through persecution ended up in Corinth. Maybe they got saved during this time. Paul was there witnessing to them in their home and was able to lead them to the Lord. We don't know when they got saved. We just know that they did become very dedicated followers of Christ. Look at verse number 5. And when Silas and Timotheus, that's Timothy, were come from Macedonia, Paul was, possessed, was pressed in the spirit 
and testify to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves, uh, and when and, and they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, "Your blood be upon your own hands. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go." Under the Gentiles. So after a while there, uh, Paul's doing some work. Paul, uh, Silas and Timothy, they show up to help uh, Paul in his ministry. And with, with their help, Paul, he's able to ded- dedicate more of his time to preaching the gospel, to sharing the truth of the resurrection with the Jews particularly. So he goes to synagogue and he preaches to the Jews there that Jesus is the Messiah and they, they oppose him. They call him a blasphemer. And now, during this time, that was a, uh, not just a, a slur, that was a dangerous accusation to be called a blasphemer. You know, today, you know, somebody, uh, you know, I call, you know, just usually picking on somebody. Somebody says, hey, you ever heard this guy? Oh, he's a blasphemer. You know, I don't, it's like, I never heard that guy. I just want to, you know, pick on him, especially if it's Sue or Fred. I'll make fun of their, whoever they like. And, and, uh, but, you know, to, today you call somebody a blasphemer. It is, it, they, you should, shouldn't use it lightly. But if someone's a, you know, blaspheming God, it's not a death sentence. In this culture, it was. If you're a Jew and you're in a synagogue and one of the leaders of the synagogue says you are blaspheming God, they could take you out and stone you. So this is a very serious accusation that they're giving to Paul. Now, Paul, uh, he gets very frustrated with them and he says, your blood is upon your own heads. I am clean. Uh, Now, this seems like an angry outburst, but it's really not. Paul desperately wanted the Jews to come to Christ. He was a a Jewish Pharisee, and he had opposed the church, and he had opposed the Jews, and so he has a a deep passion for the Jews to get saved, and he has a a desperate need to witness to them. Uh, And he knows that the only thing he can do is share the truth of the gospel with them, but he also knows the burden that that brings to him. He knows that if he doesn't share the gospel with them, then he will share in the blame for their condemnation. God's not going to punish him because of his condemnation, but the Bible teaches us in Revelation that we will stand before God or stand with God during something that's called the great white throne judgment. Now, Paul knows he can't can't, uh, control their response, but he can control the fact that they hear. But during the great white throne judgment, the unsaved, those who died without Christ, those who rejected Christ, those who maybe even never heard of Christ, they will stand before God and be judged. The Bible says that death and hell will give up the dead, and they will be judged by God. And they'll be judged through the, book of, through the, the books of the Bible, and then they'll be judged by the book of life. And if their name's not written in the book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. And we will be there watching it. And the Bible says, because a lot of people say, oh, you know, there's no, there's no tears in heaven. Yeah, there are, number one. Because the Bible says, after this judgment, then God wipes away all tears. So why are we crying? Because we're seeing people we could have witnessed to, we could have given, they may not have accepted, but we could have witnessed to them, we're seeing them cast in hell. The Bible says that their blood is on our hands because we didn't share the gospel with them. That is our responsibility as believers to share the truth of the gospel with everybody we can. Will everyone accept? No. 
But that's not up to us. God doesn't tell us, make sure everyone becomes a believer. God says, make sure everyone hears the truth. And so Paul is telling them, look, I've given you the truth. My conscience is clear. If you reject Christ and you die and go to hell, that's on you. I've done my part. So he's, he's basically saying, my conscience is clear. I'm clean to this. I'm going to the Gentiles now. So Paul has an urgency realizing that the souls, people's souls are at stake. Look at verse number uh, 7. <clears throat> and he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house was joined hard to the synagogue. That just means that it was right next to it. Like the, the building was connected. Like he lives in an apartment, synagogue's right there. So that's what it means there. Uh, then verse number 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So Justice, he's this, this Gentile uh, that lives right next to the synagogue, but Paul leads him to, the, to Christ, and then he lets Paul stay with him. So Paul has left Priscilla and Aquila's, and he's living with this guy. I say, why did he leave there? Well, because, again, his, his house is right next to the synagogue. Paul wants to preach in the synagogue. He wants to reach Jews. He's like, the best place to be is where Jews are, and this guy's right where Jews are. So he, he begins to uh, stay with, with justice. Then Crispus, he's one of the rulers of the synagogue. He becomes a Christian. Now, both of these men are risking a lot to help Paul. Because, again, they just called Paul a blasphemer, which means there is a movement growing to see Paul killed for what he's saying. So, justice, he's letting this guy that most of the city hates stay with him. And Crispus, of course, he's a leader of the synagogue, a leader of the Jews, and the Jews are the ones leading the charge to have Paul either killed or run out of town because of what he's saying. So they're, the, both of them are risking a lot. And this causes a lot of problems in this city. A lot of people are angry at Paul, and a lot of people want to kill him. So how do you know that? Because of verse number 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. So, obviously, Paul was worried, because God come to him and said, hey, don't worry. Obviously, there was physical danger to Paul, because God tells him no one's going to touch you. Now, if Paul wasn't in physical danger, a promise that no one's going to touch you doesn't have a lot of weight there. It's like, oh, you're perfectly safe. No one's going to hurt you. Well, no, duh. But so obviously people were after him. He was in physical danger. Because remember, earlier in his missionary journey, he'd been stoned. And a lot of people, because at, during this, when he's stoned, he's like, well, you know, he saw a vision of heaven. Was anybody out of the body? I don't know. And during this time, they didn't just throw rocks at you until you ran out of town. They, they hit you with huge rocks and piled them on you until you were dead. So they stoned Paul until they at least thought he was dead. And then... If he was dead or not, I tend to believe he did die and God raised him to the dead. Either way, if he didn't die, God healed him miraculously because the next day he gets up and walks 20 miles to another city. And I don't know if you've ever been stoned like they stoned people. I don't think you walk in the next day. Uh, you know, I, I sneeze wrong and I can barely walk. Uh, so Paul, 
he, he knows that he's in danger and he's seen what can happen when people turn against him and turn against God. So God comes to him and he tells him not to be scared, but to continue to preach the gospel. Now, we know Paul was scared, not only because of this, but in the first letter to the church at Corinth, he opens up and says, I came to you in weakness and fear. He was scared about what would happen to him. He's already been beaten. He's already been rejected. He's already been hurt for preaching the gospel. So Paul had fears just like every single one of us. Paul isn't a superman. Paul was scared about what his obedience to God would bring to him physically. He's an everyday guy with a tent-making job just trying to serve God in a hostile area. He is stepping out in faith. It doesn't, you know, stepping out in faith and trusting God, it doesn't take an extraordinary Christian. It just takes a believer willing to trust that God's going to take care of them. You know, great faith takes an everyday believer stepping out in fear and trusting God no matter what. God uses everyday believers to accomplish His will on earth. Yeah, He uses Paul, who was a well-educated man. Now, right now, he's a tent maker, but he was a well-educated man. He uses Aquila and Priscilla, blue-collar workers who just had their life turned upside down. He uses Justice, a, a Gentile believer. He uses Crispus, a leader of the synagogue with a lot to lose. These people, their backgrounds were drastically different, but they all had one thing in common. They had dedicated their lives to live for God. They had dedicated their lives to be used by God for His plan instead of their plan. They were willing to follow God's will and forego their will for their own lives. So whose plan is guiding your decision making? Are you basing everything you decide to do, where you decide to go, how you decide to spend your money, everything... What I, this is what I want to do. This is what's best for me. This is what's going to help my career. This is what's going to help my bank account. This is what's going to help my family. Or you basing it on what God's plan for your life is. So I want to give you three things that we, can, that we can look at our own life, and they are signs that we are living God's plan instead of our plan. The first thing that we can notice, and we're noticing we're living out for God's plan instead of ours, is you invest your life in others. You invest your life in others. Paul, he moves in with Aquila and Priscilla. He works with them. He develops a deep relationship, a deep friendship with them. And then later on at the end of the chapter, he takes Aquila and Priscilla with him to Ephesus when he leaves Corinth. He had dedicated his, his time while he was there to not just preach the gospel and see people saved, but he said, I'm going to, to invest in people's lives. I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to train them that they can be used by God as well. By the time the, the, of the letter, the first letter of Corinth, uh, that Paul writes to the first uh, the church at Corinthians, they are back in Corinth and they are leading this church. Aquila and Priscilla, they lay Later on, the Bible tells us, they invested their lives in a guy named Apollos, who shows up at the end of chapter 18. He was preaching Christ, 
But he didn't know the whole story. He, he knew that Jesus had come and Jesus had claimed to be Messiah and he knew about the teachings of Jesus. But he didn't know Jesus had died on the cross. He didn't know Jesus had been buried and risen three days later. So he's just preaching what he's heard about Christ. Look at verse number 24 of chapter 18. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So that's pretty much where his knowledge was. But he knew, what, he knew the teachings of Christ, he knew about Christ, so he's teaching all the things that he knows. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass unto Acacia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much when he believed through grace. For he mightily uh, convinced the Jews in that publicly showing the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So they, they have this guy, Apollos, show up, and man, he's fervent. He's teaching about Jesus, but they're like, he doesn't know the whole story. So they take him aside, they tell him the whole story. They disciple him. They teach him about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And God uses this guy to reach Jews with the Lord to do a great work because they had invested in him. In 1 Corinthians, Apollos is a leader at the church at Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla, all because they invested in his life. Don't forget about Timothy, who shows up in verse number 5. We, we see in this chapter, in another chapter, is Paul. He had invested in not only in Timothy, but Timothy shows up and he sees Paul invest in Aquila and Priscilla. He goes with them to Ephesus. He sees Aquila and Priscilla invest in Apollos. And so in 2 Timothy, when Paul is writing his farewell address to Timothy, his son in the faith, he tells them, Share the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses with faithful men who, have been a, who will be able to teach others also, Paul tells him, what you saw me do, you do it to other people and teach them to do it as well. Invest in people. That is God's plan for the gospel to go forth. That we would teach people who teach others and they pass their faith along. So who are you investing in? Look, if... If you're a parent, you've got built-in people God wants you to invest in in your home. You know, don't rely on, you know, well, you know, the church will invest them in during children's church. And No, we, we get them one hour, maybe two a week. Well, they'll go to teen camp and that'll do a great... No. Now, how many of y'all, Connor, you went to teen camp, you had a great time, right? You had a wonderful time. Made a lot of friends, right? Some of them friends were girls, right? Yeah! <laughs> but Connor had a good, but I can't say, well, I'm going to let, I'm going to let teen camp invest in him because they'll get him for a week. I have to invest in him and then use all these other people to, to help build what I'm doing. I've got to teach, I've got to train him and I've got to teach him. Yeah. I got to teach him to be a, a good citizen. I got to teach him to plug a tire when it's flat. I got to teach him to change oil in his car. I got to teach him to, to know when you can't fix something and you need to find a good mechanic. I need to teach him when it's like it's too far gone, find a, gas, a can of gas and burn it. And, uh, you know, i got to teach him these things. But i also got to teach him, hey, you got to love Jesus. you gotta, you got to read your Bible. you got to pray. you got to walk with God. You've got to 
teach others. You've got to share your faith like I share my faith. And I'm to teach him and invest in him. And then one day he'll invest in others. Look, you grandparents, you can invest in your grandkids. You know, don't, when your grandkids show up, don't just give them a bunch of candy. And look, I understand the appeal. Your kids were brats. And so when your grandkids show up, you're going to fill them with sugar and spoil them and send them back home to torture the parents. I get it. I'm going to do it one day. When my grandkids show up, they are going to be the biggest pains in the butt when they leave my house that hopefully Parker will say, no, you can't watch them anymore. Woo! Uh, but anyway, I get the appeal. But before you spoil them with candy and toys and all that junk, share the, teach them the gospel. Share, read the Bible with them. If you can't, bring them to church. Invest in those people that you can't. Maybe you ain't got no kids. God still wants you to invest in people. God wants us to invest in everybody. Husbands, invest in your wives. Wives, invest in your husbands. Look, it's, you know, marriage is, you know, I've heard people about marriage is 50-50. No, it ain't. Marriage is 100-100. You know, if you ain't giving 100, well, I'll do what they're, I'll do this if they, no, 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 you're not, that's not right. It's, I'm going to do, no matter, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves me unconditionally, no matter what, and a wife, I'm going to do the same thing for my husband. We love each other, we care for each other, and you can invest in your husband too. Pray for him. You know, you get something out of the Bible, go, hey, honey, this is what I got out of Scripture. Hey, this is what I, invest in each other, invest in your kids, invest in each other. Um, get into growth groups and invest in people. Look, work with restoring hope and invest in people. I told you all, Sunday night, uh, again, I'm gonna, I was going to announce it this morning after church, but Restoring Hope Roanoke, they're doing a uh, faith and finances seminar in September. And they're asking, if, number one, if you want to take faith and finances, uh, it's a biblical approach to budgeting. And it's really to get people who don't really, who've never really budgeted before, not really fi done finances before, struggle getting out of debt. Be you know, uh, it's really, it's geared towards anyone, but it focuses on people who like the, the uh, payday advance loans or the car title loans, which are just super stupid to get. Uh, if you got one, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying you did something stupid. Uh, but they're super stupid to do uh, because they're just, they're leeches. But they, they help these people get a budget, get out of debt, save money for a goal. And they say, hey, if you have anyone in church who wants to take it, that'd be great. But they're really saying if you have anyone in your church who would like to be a mentor, and you don't got to teach the class, your job is to sit there with someone, listen to the lesson, and then you say, hey, okay, let's help you do this budget. Let's help you get this stuff going. And say, what's the point of it? To help people with their finances? Yes, the point of it is to help people with their finances. But the real point is so you can develop a relationship with someone so you can give them the gospel. Because that's the whole point of, the, of what they do. We're going to invest in people to build a relationship with them so we can share the gospel with them. Get involved in, in helping at the Women's Center. Just invest in others. Choose to give your life to what God wants to do with it. Build relationships and invest in people. So first, how, how do you know you're in the will of God? You're invested in people. Second thing, your security is in Christ. Look at verse number 9 again. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. God, when Paul is fearful, when Paul is afraid, God comes to him and says, Paul, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to protect you. 
no one is going to hurt you. We have the same promise that God gave Paul. We have the promise of his presence with us all the time. In Matthew 28, God promised to, to always be with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. God is with you all, and in you always. God has promised, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Not only do we have his presence, we have security in Christ. Now look, this isn't a promise that you can do whatever you want to do and nothing, you know, nothing bad physical is going to happen to you. I can, I can, you know, run down the road on a motorcycle standing on the back, you know, on my hands on the back with no helmet and God's going to not going to let me get hurt. No, that's not what God's saying. I can jump over a bridge and I ain't going to get hurt. No. God lets stupid people die every day. Uh, but God's saying He's going to give you security even in difficult times. Uh, look at, in Romans 8.38. Paul's saying here, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, neither things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can take you away from the presence and the power of God in your life. Now again, that doesn't mean no bad thing's going to happen. Paul had a lot of bad things happen. He's beaten. He's shipwrecked. He's bitten by a snake, which my heart would just explode. Not even from poison, just fear. Uh, you know, like some of you, if a spider showed up, your heart might blow. <laughs> so, you know, he had a lot of bad things happen. He's eventually killed for his faith. So he had a lot of bad things happen, but God was with him through all of it. And he was secure in the love of God no matter what he was facing. God can't protect you if you run from Him. And that's what a lot of us do in difficult times. We run from God. So life gets scary, and we, don't, we run from the one that can give us security during those difficult times. Security that we need is found in Christ. He separated Himself from the Father and became sin for us, and died in our place, and was risen again, He separated Himself from God the Father so we would never be separated from God again. You need to find your security in Christ. Third thing to know that if you're in the will of God, number three, you risk enough to need God. You risk enough to need God. The promises that God gave Paul conditional. And that's the thing. All of God's promises are conditional. You do this, and I'll do this. And they're not hard. God's not like, if you can build a, a ladder to heaven, then I'll... No, God's just like, that. hey, if you, if you trust me, I'll take care of you. Pretty simple. To Paul, he says, hey, Paul, keep preaching, and I'll be there for you. You keep preaching. You keep obeying me. You keep serving me. And I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll take care of you. He says, I will be with you. I will protect you. You just have to keep preaching the gospel. Look, we want, as believers, we want God's presence in our life. We want security, but we want it without having to do anything for Him. That's not how it works. God never gives us His presence, never gives us His security without first calling us to action. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 9. But, but be not afraid, but speak, and behold thy peace for I am with you. It starts with the word for, because Paul 
He's God saying, if you continue speaking, I will continue being with you. God had a plan for Paul and his promise of presence and his promise of security depended on Paul following God's will and following God's plan. Paul had to risk his life and God would be with him. God will protect him so he could follow God's will. Now, does God, does your commitment to God cause you to risk anything? Are you risking anything for God that you are, God, I'm risking this because I have to have you. I'm not saying that you have to be a martyr. I'm not saying, you know, you're saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it all and I'm going to go to the Middle East and I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm not, if God's called you to do that, do that. But if you're just like, I'm just going to prove how good, no, I'm not calling you to be a martyr for God or anything like that. I'm not saying you have to give your life. But God always calls us to circumstances that requires us to trust Him. You know why God calls us or commands us as believers to be faithful in our tithes and generous in our offerings, especially in the, the kind of the economy we're in right now? I don't know if you've noticed... The economy sucks. Interest rates have gone up, so housing market's crashing again. Gas finally is, and I saw a tweet from the White House, you know, gas has fallen at record levels since, you know, since June. It's fallen faster than ever before. I'm like, but yeah, because it got super high. Uh, but, you know, gas prices are, groceries are high, and, you know, just everything's just up there. And God commands us to be faithful in tithes and offerings, no matter how the economy is. Why? Because we need, if we need, you know, we feel like we need all of our income. But if we trust Him by joyfully giving to support His kingdom, God says, I'll take care of you. I'll rebuke the devourer. You know that means? Your stuff will last long if you take care of it. Say, oh, that's ridiculous. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I remember we were in Bible college, and, uh, we, we had no money. I mean, like, right now I'm like, we're, you know, we have no money. We really had no money. Uh, you know, we made less, I made less than Parker makes right now. Uh, so I had no money. And uh, we were in Bible college, and, you know, when something came up, and me and Nate, we said, well, we can, we can pay our tithe, or we can buy groceries. And I had, I had a lapse of faith. I said, we can always pay it next week. You know, we can double up next week. So we'll, we'll forget that. We'll, we'll, we'll get groceries. Well, we got groceries. Didn't pay our tithe. You know what happened? Somebody stole the tires off my truck and our washing machine broke down. So that's, not, that's just a coincidence. No, that was God getting my attention. So that now, no matter what, April comes. And it happened after that. She came to me a couple months later and says, we can buy groceries, we can tithe. What are we going to do? We're going to tithe. Guess what? We tithe. Had no money for groceries. Came home from church on Sunday night, and someone had put bags of groceries on our porch. God took care of us. But God says, you be faithful to me, and I'll be faithful to you. But it takes faith. It takes stepping out and saying, you know what? I, this makes no sense. I'm in a dangerous position, but I have to do this. You know, God put you in the job you are. Maybe you're in a job where you're the only believer. God put you there to trust Him so you could share the gospel with those that you work with. God is calling us to step out into seemingly impossible situations so we can trust Him. You know, I was talking again this week about how, how New Grace came to be and started with New Horizon. 
Starting New Horizons seemed impossible. When I, I graduated college and got some inter- I decided I was going to start a church, and I, I settled. God had always laid on my heart Roanoke, and so I started calling uh, churches for because I, I didn't I didn't get a missionary degree, and I had to go on deputation. I had no idea how to do that, uh, and so I'm trying to figure it out as I'm going along. So I'm calling church, and I thought I'll call churches in Roanoke. I'm sure they will be thrilled to have someone come and help them. And I was wrong, big time wrong. Uh, I was shocked. I had a pastor tell me God told him that I wasn't supposed to come and take his church members. And I thought, well, you know, God told me to come get the 350 other thousand people that don't go to your church. So uh, I'll worry about them. Uh, Which, honestly, look, if, if someone called me tomorrow and said, hey, I want to start a church in Roanoke. You know a place I can meet? I'd be like, yeah, i got a gym. Start right down there. You can use, a, you can use the hot sanctuary today. Uh, <laughs> but, like, hey, I want it because there are people that, are gonna, that can start a church right down the road or even that will reach people I'm not going to reach. And I'm not like, oh, well, they're going to take my... No, but anyway, that's an, anyway. starting New, New Horizons seemed impossible. We had a goal that we were going to raise a certain amount of money. Uh, our, our goal was we, we needed uh, $5,000 support a month to start the church. That would help us find a building, get all the supplies we need, also you know, help me uh, pay rent and feed my family, which was a pretty big deal in my opinion. But we, we're going to raise $5,000 a month. And I've seen people on the deputation uh, for years because they couldn't get to their goal. And so they're like, oh, I'm on deputation for eight years. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I said, God, this is what I want to get. This is what I want to raise. But I'm starting this church in October of 2011, no matter what, because that's what you want me to do. The day we opened our doors, I had $1,500 a month support. In case you don't know, that's a lot less than $5,000 a month. But God took care of us. We got a free building. We, we grew. We, and God, it seemed impossible starting. We're in, we're in Roanoke, the Bible Belt. We're, you know, we're not making enough money, but God didn't. We stepped out on faith, and God used us. Did an incredible work. We didn't have the support, but God provided. It was hard. It was scary, but God did what God called me to do. Only the only way to see God move, the only way for you to see God work in your life, is to try something by faith you can't do on your own. If you can do it, it ain't faith. Oh, well, God's calling me to read my Bible once a day. No, no, He's not. God's commanded you to read your Bible every day, but God's calling you to step out on faith and do something that that makes you scared. And look, it doesn't have to be starting a church. For you, it can be witnessing to my neighbor. Inviting, man, I don't know if I can do that. Well, with God's help, we can do anything. But you have to step out and risk enough to need God. God doesn't work where God's not needed. You know, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't come to earth, live a perfectly sinless life, die on the cross in our place, and rise from the grave to save us from our sins so we could just skate through life. He didn't just save you from hell. He saved you to himself. And he wants you to trust him, and he wants you to serve him. So whose plan are you living for? Are you living for your plan, for your life? Or are you saying, God, this is what I want to do, but Lord, I want to live out your plan. I want to live your will.
Maybe it, it starts by simply trusting Him for salvation. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe it's just saying, God, I'm going I'm to put my faith and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection on the cross as payment for my sin. I'm going to put my faith in you. Maybe it's investing your life in other believers here or in, in, in our church family. Maybe it's having a conversation with a coworker or a friend or a family uh, about a member and trusting that God's plan is more important than your plan for them. Maybe it's leveraging whatever skill set you have for the glory of God. I don't know what God wants you to do. But I know God has a plan for every single one of us here today. God wants us to invest in others. God wants us to trust Him and step out in faith where we can see Him work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com. 